Welcome. This is Sheila Murthy, and we invite you and welcome you to join our fantastic regular monthly Murthy Law, Law Firm teleconference series. Today's topic is no-shows and terminations, the legal obligations and implications for you as employers. I have with me on my panel two of my brilliant and amazing attorneys. Uh, I know you've heard often from attorney Aaron Finkelstein, the managing attorney of our law firm. He was heading our uh, PERM labor certification department and does a bunch of consultations on all of the different issues, including subtle and complex issues of immigration law. He's been with the Murthy Law Firm or the Murthy Law Firm for over 10 years and before that worked for five more years in the field of immigration law. So has a plethora of background and knowledge on immigration law and in the field and specifically dealing with employment-based immigration. We also have Alyssa Klein, uh, the attorney in the H-1B department, and she routinely deals with H-1B and other non-immigrant uh, options for employers, businesses, and discuss discusses legal issues. So we thought that this topic would be extremely beneficial and timely for a variety of reasons, in particular the fact that the USCIS and the U.S. Department of Labor regularly slap fines and have all kinds of obligations imposed on the employer based on the fact that the employee is still considered an employee. Many of us know about the horrific January 8, 2010 employer-employee memo, but today we're really focusing on the obligations and the implications for an employer when there has been a termination. So what exactly, when exactly is the obligation of the employer, uh, the H-1B, you know, employer-employee, when does it stop? The law states that the H-1 employer must notify the USCIS not just promptly but actually immediately of any material change in the terms and conditions of the employment and this is generally considered to include a termination. So um, if there is a termination, uh, the employee quits, it is the employer's obligation to notify the USCIS. US, the company has to notify them. However, um, the back wage obligation will continue unless and until the USCIS has, there has been some kind of a bona fide termination. If there is no bona fide ter termination, there's a pretty good chance that you as the employer is going to continue to have to pay all kinds of wages, plus the FICA taxes, the Social Security, and all of those other wages to the government on behalf of this employee. Um, and sometimes the government has actually come back in various cases, not just holding the company, but also the individual employer liable, especially if they think that there's any kind of fraud or some kind of cover-up where the employer tries to get false letters from the employees. And we've seen that repeatedly in the various cases. So, Alyssa, when, does an, uh, when, when is there an actual bona fide termination? What is it and what does it mean and when does it happen? Hi, thank you, Sheila. Yeah, there, you know, interestingly enough, there is actually no legal definition of bona fide termination, but we do know from DOL regulations that a, if a number of steps are taken, the employer can effectively sever the relationship with the employee and end their ongoing H-1B, for example, wage obligations. Uh, and one of the uh, important parts of that is, you know, when the bona fide termination, if you want to make the bona fide termination, as you said, 
you do need to notify USCIS. And when you have to do this is when the relationship is ending before the H-1B ends. So this is when you're in the middle of an approved H-1B validity period and for whatever reason the employment has terminated. And one component of this bona fide termination process is to actually offer the employee a reasonable cost for the return trip home. So what is reasonable? Uh, it is a one-way ticket. It is not for the family members necessarily. Employer does not have to pay for dependents. Uh, employer does not have to pay, for example, a first-class ticket home. Um, they are only required to offer a reasonable cost. Okay. Uh, I know that's what some, I've seen some companies do this. They've notified the USCIS of the termination, but they don't bother to notify the individual employee of the termination. Um, and this could have a possible problem, even though the obligations in cases have stopped based upon USCIS notification. I think that implied in that is that the employee is actually notified because it seems a little bit unethical and improper to just send a letter to USCIS without even bothering to send an email or notifying the employee that the employment is terminated. Exactly, and that's something that could be looked at too if an employer is under audit or investigation and always best to keep records of terminations, providing notices or having a, a resignation letter on file. Okay, great. Aaron, um, what are the steps that the employer can try to take to avoid the continued wage liability? Well, I think there are three key steps that an employer would want to take. Um, one is, um, I think that some of this Alyssa went through very nicely. One is to look at um, notification to the USCIS. Well, in addition to the notification and the return cost home and notifying the employee, um, you know, another factor is the timeliness of, of the process. and. I think there's some, there is a case on record about the timeliness of this because it does say in the regulation it, you are to notify immediately to USCIS. So mm -hmm. the question becomes what's immediate mm -hmm. and how does the timeliness of the filing um, of that notification uh, impact an employer's obligation? Okay. Uh, Aaron, anything more you wanted to add on that? No, I think that's fine. I would also add about that it's recommended that the employer send a written notice of termination to the employee by certified mail to document the timeline of when they've actually caused the termination to take place. I think that would be something that's uh, absolutely critical to be able to do. Um, contrary to popular belief, there is no status or grace period after termination of employment. Status ends the date that the um, employment actually uh, is terminated. And further, the people sometimes ask me, well, what about if I'm getting a severance pet check or a severance package or something like that is coming down the line. Can I count those checks as if I'm still employed? And the answer is no, that once you're terminated, even if there's a severance package, you would still be considered to be somebody that would be out of status. Right, so the day the H-1 employment stops, then your H-1B status stops, and you become out of status even if you get one month, two months, three weeks, whatever, off uh, the um, severance package check. Um, so usually the employer wants to let both the employee know and the USCIS notify both of the termination of employment so that the petition can actually be revoked um, properly and at that point the, employee's obligation, the employer's obligation to continue to pay the employee would stop at that point. Um, and clearly the employer needs to maintain careful records 
of the employee's termination, like proof of the termination letter, the documentary proof of getting documents back, some kind of signed evidence, maybe a letter of resignation from the employee, et cetera. Because we find that, you know, then it becomes a he said, she said, and it creates a, a leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Right, no question. Uh, you'd also want to make sure that you add in proof that you paid for the plane ticket. I think that that would definitely be something that would be helpful, since if there is a bona fide termination, uh, you are, that is a commitment or a requirement to pay. Okay. Alyssa, now we come to, come back to you. Uh, what if the employee, employer needs to terminate an employee who's working on an F-1 OPT status uh, and the H-1 petition is still pending with USCIS? Or well, is there a difference if the petition's been approved uh, based on a start of a future start date? And that's an excellent question because the, if the H-1B has not taken effect and the employee is not working pursuant to the H-1B, then the employer is not tied to the H-1B wage obligations. Um, however, if the H-1B has been filed or is in process uh, and is approved or is still pending, the employer does have to take steps to make sure that if the H-1B is approved, that they are not subject to future wage obligations. So they should take those additional steps to notify USCIS that the employment has ended and should do that, you know, with, in the case where it is pending or if it is approved, and especially if it has been approved, to notify USCIS before the H-1B actually commences. Okay, okay. And, and that's the best time because then the person is still on F-1 OPT and you're not jeopardizing the employee's status for the future. Exactly. Uh, because they, then the F-1 OPT could potentially continue. Exactly. The, even, F, the F-1 OPTs are forgiven up to a certain period of unemployment time And as if it's well. a STEM employer, then they have the additional 17 months exactly. plus the cap-gap status. And by withdrawing or revoking or canceling the H-1B petition, it's possible that we can try to extend the F-1 OPT or continue to enjoy, though there is a lot of gray area. Right. They have to make sure that they're still maintaining their status, that they're um, still active in CVIS, and they're able to, tr to move to another employer and perhaps continue their employment and their non-immigrant path here to an H-1B. Except that I've been told that the CVIS database may show F-1 OPT termination or F-1 exactly. termination of status, which creates problems. Exactly. That's why it's important to be in constant contact for a student. With the DSO, exactly. with the uh, International Student right. Advisor, et cetera. Well, I mean, you have a whole issue of no-shows. What happens when there's a no-show, and uh, meaning that the employee never reported to work? If the H-1B uh, employee never reported to work, then the employer needs to notify the USCIS. Clearly, there's a material change in the H-1B employment, and then you notify the USCIS and possibly send the H-1B revocation notice. Uh, on the other hand, if the employee is not able to enter the United States, probably because the H-1 visa stamp was never issued at the consulate, so that the H-1 employee could not start the employment for a substantial period after the H-1 petition start date, it is one possible option is to possibly revoke the H-1 petition and either refile a new petition when the worker is ready to start or, um, you know, determine whether it makes sense. Now, in this day and age where H-1B petitions are being routinely denied, I'd be a little bit more cautious before just revoking or canceling the H-1 because I may not get another H-1 approval. So, plus, it costs a lot of money from a legal point of view to just simply 
uh, keep filing and revoking petitions. But that is an option. That is one option is to revoke the petition. The other is to just let it stay, but then be prepared to answer a bunch of questions, either the consulate or when the individual tries to enter the United States at the airport or other port of entry to answer the CBP and tell them why they did not come in for the first you know, year or year and a half of the H-1 three-year petition time. If the H-1 petition is not used for a really long time, the USCIS may question as to whether there was a bona fide job at the time of filing for the because we say that this is for the three-year duration. Also, the employee may have a difficult time at the consular interview, as I just pointed out. Um, generally, it's not a good idea from an employer point of view to have many open and unused petitions, as they may trigger a back-wage liability. It also shows up on the USCIS and Department of Labor database because there's open LCAs with wage liability and wage obligations. And unused petitions may prevent um, other petitions from being approved because the USCIS may say, hey, you have whatever, you know, 30 H-1 petitions, but you only have 20 employees. How is that possible? And you'll say, well, only five of my 30 have come into the country, but they're the 30 and they are concerned about the employer's ability to pay the wage uh, and continue financially affording as many employees because the USCIS does keep track of previously approved petitions from the same employer or petitioner and compares the number of petitions against the number of employees for that company. Aaron, what if the company now wants to rehire a previously terminated H-1B employee? Is that feasible? So this is something that we see quite often where an employee will have an approval with company A, they'll switch over to company B uh, and they'll get another H-1 approval and then after a while working for company B, they'll want to come back and go to work for company A. And it's actually what I would call split, because if you look at the USCIS, the USCIS or immigration takes the position, if company A had not revoked the H-1B petition, and if everything else was still kind of standing, it's a dormant petition. And since it's a dormant petition, that petition is still active and can be resurrected by the employee choosing to return to the company. Uh, the Department of Labor takes a little bit of a different position. Department of Labor looks at it as if there was a, if a, if they take the position that a bona fide uh, termination has not occurred, and if a bona fide termination has not occurred, that the company A could rehire the U.S. worker, but that company A, if they rehire the U.S. worker, uh, they should in fact file a new petition for the rehired worker. One thing that's very clear is if you follow the policy of dormant petition where company A did not in fact revoke or withdraw the H-1B, what's very clear is that there is a possibility that the Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division can come back and say for the duration of time the person was working with company B, company A might be subject to back wages. Yeah, and Department of Labor has said this repeatedly in various sort of uh, American Immigration Lawyers Association, ALOC meetings and conferences where, well, if the H-1 petition has not been terminated or revoked, we believe that the H-1B employer has to pay back wages for that employee. Though, I mean, I think it creates some, somewhat an interesting issue because an employee has to be ready, willing, and able to work. If I'm the H-1 employee and I'm not available because I have a very good full-time job with another H-1 employee, H-1 employer who has a separate H-1 petition filed for me and I'm working under that H-1 petition in a proper legal bona fide manner, it just seems incredulous 
that the employer is now required to pay for someone who wasn't even available to work for a minute a day because they were working 40 plus hours for the other employer. But since there is such a Department of Labor role, I think from an employer's point of view, you as a company want to be cautious and careful that you minimize your liability and protect yourself and your company from onerous back wages, especially if you have many, many, many H-1 petitions that are approved and for which you don't have you know, employees working. Aaron, did you look like you want to say something to, to oh, the audience? Oh, I was just smiling because I said to play devil's advocate. You know, usually I'm so used to playing angel's advocate, all of our clients, of <laughs> course, being angels. But to play devil's adv- advocate a little bit, I, I think the obligation is on the employer to terminate. And there's that key function that if an employee leaves, the employer is expected to take the action of terminating. So even though you're looking at and we could look at and argue ready, willing, and able. Department of Labor is saying whether the person was ready, willing, or able, if the person's not there, you need to update your record. You need to take the determination to its full effect. The fact that you haven't, that's what we're going to kind of go after you for. So there's one side and the other side. And I agree with you, Sheila. The best and safest thing to do is just to get it off the table to terminate so it's not going to come back and be a problem for you later on. And especially because the Department of Labor agents have so much more power under the statute and regulations and all of the audits and all of the investigations that they're doing. It's, you know, why get into a position if you can avoid it? Uh, And yes, it's a cost and yes, it's a hassle to have to refile, but it may be much less expensive in the long run than having several months or years worth of back wages owed on it, uh, owed on that particular petition. So, Alyssa, what are the obligations... Uh, with respect to keeping LCA records, et cetera, from an employer's point of view, um, for an uh, employee that may be terminated or in the process of being terminated and the obligations of the employer? Right, well, the employer does have additional obligations other than paying the wage when it comes to an LCA. They um, are required to maintain a certain set of documents in what's normally called a public access file. It'll contain information about the actual wages offered, uh, the prevailing wage, and as well as a copy of the LCA. Now, in the case that an employee does start working pursuant to the H-1B, but at some point during the validity period uh, that employment ends, then the employer has to retain all of these documents for one year beyond the last date of employment, um, which is um, you know, particular to that, to that situation. If, however, uh, the LCA was never utilized, uh, maybe the employee never showed up, or you couldn't proceed with offering the, the position, you nonetheless have filed the LCA with the DOL, it's certified, and you have obligations. Um, in this case, you must keep the records for one year after the LCA expires, or in the alternative, withdraw the certified LCA, and from the date of withdrawal, maintain the records for one more year. Okay. And, and keep in mind, I mean, as good immigration lawyers, as good lawyers that fight to protect our clients and that believe in protecting our co- companies and clients, you might also want to speak with your uh, company employment lawyer on what are the docu- you know, what are the time frames required under state law for retention of the priority date, uh, for retention of, uh, sorry, employment files. I'm so used to retention of priority dates, I was focusing on that. But for retention of employment records by an employer under the particular state law. So this is different. Federal law, the LCA may be one year, but a lot of states have a three-year requirement. Some may be longer, five years. And sometimes certain issues 
could be, you know, different time frames. But three years and five years are pretty common. I know with IRS, they can look at records for five years, so you want to retain certain IRS records. But for employment law, usually it's three to five years, but LCA, it's only one year after the termination. And sometimes, to tell you the truth, a good employment lawyer may tell you to um, destroy all of the evidence that you don't need because you don't want more information available in case of an audit or investigation. Because if you have a lot more inf information out there and some of it can work against you um, because you just kept the files open and did not destroy them in a routine, regular, diligent manner, it can come back to bite you as the company. So keep that in mind. So now let's jump from the non-immigrant to the immigrant section. So in the green card context, it is quite common for us to find as employers that the foreign national employee has either quit or has been terminated during the green card process. And often employers say, well, what do I need to do? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? Back in the pre-July uh, you know, pre 2007 dates when uh, labor certification could be uh, used for another employee, most companies said, let me continue the green card labor certification processing because you could use that earlier priority date to entice another fantastic employee to come in and work and be substituted in that labor. Well, now, since July of 2007, that wonderful option is no longer available because of misuse and because of fraud and because of Department of Labor concerns. So today, the issue is, do we need to continue? There's no real benefit, and if you're going to incur costs and expenses, you may not even want to do that as a company or as a business. Um, but what is or is not required from a legal perspective is different than from a human relations perspective and being a smart business. Sometimes I tell people, you know, I can tell you and advise you what the law is as a lawyer, but also as a smart, good, savvy business person, your goal has to be how can you entice and bring the best employees or individuals to your company? What is your name and reputation as a company in the world out there among consultants looking for jobs. A lot of times we find the reputation of a company will be positive or negative, and a lot of good candidates will say, you know what, I don't want to work with that particular com consulting company because they have such a horrible reputation. They're very mean and nasty to their employees. Um, they will cancel the green card. They will do, you know, do anything to play games and play tricks. Um, and while as good lawyers, our goal is to fight and protect and defend our clients, I ask people at the end of the day, and I don't want to sound like a spiritual person because, you know, I don't want to be sitting here proselytizing or telling people what to do, but at the end of the day, what is the purpose of doing business or helping? It's really to help each other and to help your employees to, in the end, have a profitable business. Of course, you want to pay get a good, you know, profit at the end and make, uh, be, you know, help your business and to become successful. But it's also to have a great reputation for your ethics, honesty, and integrity in the community so that your employees should want to fight and crave to work with you, not run away from you, which unfortunately a lot of Desi consulting companies have the reputation for being unethical and improper. So the questions that you need to ask yourself is, you know, what will future, uh, future or former employees say to others in the business? What will they post on the Internet on websites? Uh, you know, can the employer, employer's immigration policy affect the company's reputation with potential new hires, with clients, with business? 
and in the long run, it will affect your bottom line. People always think for, to focus on the bottom line, you have to be mean and nasty and money-minded, and the truth is, a lot of times you can make a lot more money by being kind and helpful and terrific. So Aaron, what kind of questions does the employer need to consider? Well, the first thing that one would consider is the concept that the labor certification green card process is really a future job offer that the person will have at the time, that the person will fulfill at the time that they get their green card. So if somebody's currently working on you, working for a company on H-1B, and then that person leaves, the question is, is there a potential for the person to come back? If there is a chance that this employee will come back to the company, even though there's a gap in the time that the person's been working for you, since it's a future job offer, that would be acceptable, and you would be allowed to continue their process and allow it to go forward. Uh, if you Let's take a look, for example, at which stages of the green card process it happens, and we can kind of decide when and if it would be appropriate to take the withdrawal if an employer chooses to do so. So the first question is if a labor certification is pending. If it's pending, the next question is, has there been an audit? If it's pending and there's been an audit, generally the rule is you can't withdraw after an audit has taken place. Rather, after an audit has taken place, you have to have substantial compliance, so you have to answer the audit. And what you can do is, after you answer the audit, indicate, however, we don't wish to proceed, this employee has moved on, and they'll allow you to withdraw at that point in time. If there has not been an audit, usually you can go online, and there's an option on the online uh, system that would allow you to click, I want to withdraw this case, and would allow you to withdraw the case at that point in time. I-140 is the next stage of the green card process, and there you have actually two points. Is it a pending I-140, or is it approved I-140? If it's a pending I-140, um, the employer can certainly withdraw the I-140 at any time, but the employee is not required to do so. Similarly, if it's approved, the employer is not required to do so. And what you would do at this point is you would look at the pros and cons involved with withdrawing an I-140 and decide what would make sense. Well, one of the pros of withdrawing an I-140 is if an employer has financial difficulties, for example, of being able to demonstrate that they can meet the prevailing wage for other employees. So every outstanding I-140 that's pending or approved is an outstanding financial commitment that's ongoing up until the green card is approved. So if an employee gets an RF, if an employer gets an RFE for this employee or for other employees, one has to think if it's something that they would want to keep going. Uh, one of the uh, cons of withdrawing the I-140 is one of the cons of withdrawing the I-140 is that if the I-140 has been approved, the I-140 allows the priority date to transfer over to the to the employee so that the employee could have it for subsequent filings. So if an employer were to withdraw early or the employer were to take any action, that could prevent the I-140 from the employee from being able to take that priority date with them. And if I, if I may also add something here, um, it, it is definitely an issue where you're weighing the employer and the employee benefits. And even outside the green card process, the employee may be relying on that I-140 for additional H-1B extensions um, just to be able to, to stay here and, and continue the process, be it with this employer or, or another one. Right. right. 
No, go ahead. No, that's absolutely correct. Again, the pro may be more employee-oriented, but I think that when you're looking from a human resources perspective and a growth perspective, it's something that's definitely beneficial to think about. Okay. Uh, I guess, Aaron, now that we're done with the labor and I-140 part, because I think Alyssa was supposed to discuss that, um, what we can do is um, talk a little bit about the uh, what happens, you know, when the I-140 withdrawal, what does it mean for the individual whose I-45 application is pending? It's not directly re related to the employer or company's viewpoint, but it certainly uh, can have an impact. Uh, it's a question of timing for the AC21 portability purposes, and it's something that you as an employer may want to keep in mind because there are financial ability to pay implications by keeping the I-140 alive, but by revoking it, you might have an adverse impact on the employee uh, who may then no longer be able to continue the green card processing, and the 485 could end up getting a notice of intent to deny or a revocation, um, and the employer can... Uh, generally cannot take back a withdrawal request because once the employer revokes something or withdraws it, then it's considered an automatic revocation even if the USCIS has not acknowledged it. Because if the employer changes uh, the, your mind at the later date, the, a new labor and a new I-140 will actually have to be filed if the 180 days have passed since the perm filing. Uh, Aaron, what happens if the, person, if the employer never withdrew the I-140 and now the priority date has become current? Uh, by the way, we are mindful of the time. We realize it's almost 30 minutes, but we try to be between 30 and 40 minutes. So we're going to try to wrap up in the next 5 or 10 minutes. So please be patient. I think it's a fantastic session, and we appreciate your uh, patience. Well, as I said before, if the I-140, the priority date is current, and the employer says, okay, I am going to consider this person for a future position, I'm going to actually want to be able to go forward, then the employee can go ahead and file the 485, but the employee is going to need an employer letter to indicate that the employer still intends to hire him in the future. So just because the priority date is current and the employer did not withdraw or revoke, it doesn't mean, okay, now the employee can just file a 485, they would absolutely need that intent of the employer to hire them back later on, and they would also need the letter in order for it to be able to go forward. Okay, great. Alyssa, what does the employer need to inform former employees? If there's a notice of, is there any need? Is there any requirement whatsoever to notify them of any kind of a notice of intent to revoke on the I-140? Right, and there is no legal requirement uh, to notify the employee. This really goes back to the same issues we've been talking about throughout the whole process, which is what are the pros and cons for the company and what are the pros and cons for the employee. Uh, with the notification, you are, you know, being told by CIS, listen, you know, we did approve this, but we're going to take away this approval. And again, that um, is something which can impact the employee's ability to pursue a green card process or maintain their valid non-immigrant um, status. So the employer has to consider, one, again, is this something potentially that you do want to have as a potential employee down the road? Do you want to keep that option open? Um, do you want to communicate to the employee to see if there's a future there? Uh, the other thing to consider is, um, if it is uh, within your community, if you want to be concerned more about a reputation, is this something that's going to come back? Well, Sheila, you discussed at the beginning of this portion, which is there's business savvy in addition to just legal requirements. Um, you know, and another scenario is, um, you know, if you have this notice to invoke for a former uh, former employee, 
um, you know, it, what if you do want to move forward with it? What if you do want to respond? And in that case, definitely seek out, seek out counsel, understand how to respond best to it, because another aspect to consider is if the notice of intent to revoke is making allegations against the company, that it might be beneficial even if the offer may or may not be moving forward for permanent employment, that the employer respond to the allegations made and be able to have a good record with CIS uh, so it doesn't impact future I-140 filings. Okay, great, great. All of that's very useful and I think very valuable. Uh, Aaron, um, the last issue we want to talk is what if the former employee now asks you as an employer for a copy of the labor certification or I-140 approval do we? Do you, as an employer, need to? Does the employer need to give provide copies of that to the employee? Okay, the uh, labor certification and the I-140 are employer driven. Because they're employer driven, they're the petitioners, they're the active members that are putting forward the case. So those are actually the petitioners or the employer's property, and generally you do not have an obliga obligation to give it over to the employee. Um, if the employee if the employer also filed the 485s along with the I-140, they filed the 485s, the I-485 is employee-driven. Since it's employee-driven, all documents related to the I-485 have to be provided to the employee when the employee does request. However, there are practical sides to this. If you think about it, the employee, if the employee moves, they're going to need to have the job description they're going to need to be able to show that the I-140 was valid, which is generally considered an approval of the I-140. They're going to need to be able to show the receipt notice for the 45, that it was pending for 180 days. They're going to be, need to be able to show same or similar job. That's something they would get from somewhere else. So the employee could approach and say, I would like to get these documents. If you elect not to give the employee the documents, even a redacted version, limited portions of it, just the job description from the labor, the number, the receipt number of the I-140, where they can look up and verify that the I-140 has been approved, the employee might try to go through the Freedom of Information Act. And the Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA, is one where they can request all documents related to their process. Now, it's arguable whether they'll get all of the documents, but generally they'll get a good chunk of them, usually a lot more than what the employer would normally wish to give many times it has financial information. So in a practical way, if you ask, in a legal way, in a technical way, if you ask, should I give it? Shouldn't I give it? Do I have to give it? The answer would be no, you don't have to give I-140 docs, LC documents. But in a practical way, giving something, having a policy of sharing will probably save you from certain information being disclosed that you don't want to come And out. generally, there's no down, huge downside with this, with sharing the information. And if there is, then maybe you do need to discuss it with your lawyer. I guess it's time for us to try and wrap up. So I, we do want to share with you that it's been a true privilege and honor that you took time in the middle of your busy day to attend today's teleconference series of the Murthy Law Firm. It's a very useful topic, and we appreciate the opportunity to share our wisdom and guidance with you. Obviously, each of us here at the Murthy Law Firm, the attorneys and our paralegals and all of our staff, is here to help and serve you, our valued clients and potential clients. 
We are here to guide you. Please continue to take advantage of the wonderful free services that we provide on Murthy.com, like the Murthy Bulletin, Murthy Chat, Murthy Forum, free Murthy Teleconference series, and everything else. And when, and God willing, you have the opportunity to work with the world's number one immigration law firm, we certainly hope you will come and use our valued services. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And we also offer free public teleconferences for your employees and staff to take advantage of. So encourage them to participate. Have a great day. And thank you once again. Bye-bye.